0: Esther chapter 8. Now, I want us to go back and review a few things. Remember the decree to destroy the Jews. Okay, let's go back to Esther chapter 5. Hold your place in 8, but let's go back to chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen, and I wrote down the wrong... Uh, I hate when I do that. Okay, I meant 312, not 512. I'm going to change out my notes. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, and the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writings thereof, and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. All right? Now, we're going to look at another decree today, and the date of it is, let's look in verse 9. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day, it was written according to Mordecai, commanded the Jews, to the lieutenants, to the deputies, the rulers of the provinces which are from India unto Ethiopia, and 127 provinces unto every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. All right, that means approximately two months And 10 days passed from the signing of the first decree to the signing of the second decree. I want you to get that in your head. Now, the execution date was set for the 13th day of the 12th month. So, you had the first month, we'll say January, so we can figure this out, right? And the execution is supposed to happen in December. But all of January passes... February passes, and we're all the way at the end of March, and nothing still happened. Could you imagine now, some started thinking, nobody cares, and nothing's going to be done to save the Jews. There may have been some that even started to wonder if God would save them from this destruction. I mean, after all, it's been two whole months, and nothing's happened yet. Do we not act that way sometimes when things don't seem to be going right? Okay, I think it's quite obvious our nation is in a big mess right now. But we don't see what's coming down the road. Christian, if we get serious about praying and asking God and seeking His face and humbling ourselves, God could send another great revival in this nation. Do you believe that? Sometimes He has to allow us to suffer a little bit for us to figure out Lord, we still do need you. I mean, my goodness. Gas prices, food prices, and everything else so high, it's getting hard to live. But God's not done yet. Now, there's a whole lot of details that led up to this day. Are there not? I mean, God has placed Esther in the palace, becoming queen. He has had Haman draw up this plan, he's had Mordecai and all the Jews that were repenting and, and, and uh, um, sitting in sackcloth and praying and, and asking God, humbling themselves before God. The conversation between Mordecai and Esther, they finally convinced Esther she needs to go to the king. She's already gone to the king the day before, and at that banquet asked for another meeting with him, and that night is the night that... Uh, Mordecai decided to build a gallows and was going to hang, I'm not Mordecai, Haman was going to build a gallows to hang Mordecai on. And that's the same night that the king had the chronicles read that reminded him of this great thing that Mordecai had done, but never was honored. All these details leading up to this, right? But it would appear to many, ooh, wow, everything changed in one day. Sometimes, folks, we don't understand what God may be doing. But sometimes when he, does this, when he does move, it looks like it happened in an instant. But remember, his hand was moving the whole time. So I've titled this message, The Day Everything Changed. Now we've already seen that this day brought honor to Mordecai and the death of Haman. Now let's look at Esther chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. And notice what else changed that day. Esther chapter 8 and verse 1, On that day did King Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jew's enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite, And his device that he had devised against the Jews, and the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hedematha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil... That shall come upon my people, and how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen, and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged on the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse." Then were the king's scri- scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to, the, to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and deputies and rulers of the provinces, which were from India and the Ethiopia and 120 and seven provinces and every province, according to writing thereof, and unto the people after their language and to the Jews, according to their writing and according to their language. And he wrote in the king, has name, and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews that they were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the people and the province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take to spoil them for prey. Upon one day in all the province the King Ahasuerus, namely on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is month Adar, The copy of the writing for the commandment to be given in every province was published to all the people, and the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the post that rode upon the mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed by the king's commandment, and the decree was given as Shushan the palace. So here's the three changes made that day that I want us to focus on. First of all, the promotion of Mordecai. We'll see that in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the plea of Esther, which you observe in verses 3 through 6, and then we'll conclude with the proclamation of the king, which will be 7 through 14. Again, Christian, you and I don't always understand God's timing, but we can trust his timing to be perfect and to be right. And this day, it seemed like it all just came together, but God had been working on their behalf the whole time. And continue to do so so let's ask him for his guidance father i pray in a few moments we have as we go through this passage again lord do you teach us to simply trust you in all things and lord to know that you're still in control and that your timing is perfect and we'll thank you for it in jesus name amen let's first of all look at the promotion of mordecai god rewards faithfulness verse one tells us the king gave the estate of haman to esther now we saw some of the dealings already of Haman. He was a taking care of who? Guy taking care of who? Haman, right? Taking care of himself. And it appears as though he had a pretty decent estate already built up because remember, he's trying to make Haman wealthy. And so I don't know by what all means he's already done this, but it's a pretty hefty estate. Now, he forfeited everything when he was hung as a, uh, a traitor, and then Mordecai is put in charge of it by Esther. We see that at the end of the verse. And Mordecai came before the king. I'm sorry, in the middle of the verse. On that day, the king of Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, to Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told him what he was unto her. It's the end of verse 2. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. So he, she puts him as the steward of this house. Okay. And then something else very interesting happens. The king's ring that he had given to Haman, obviously before they go hang him, he takes his ring back. Now, he has all these other counselors, he has all these other wise men in his cabinet, if you will, but he takes Mordecai, who he now finds out is the cousin of his wife Esther, and gives him the ring. Now, you don't give a king's ring to just anybody. This is promoting him to the chief of the counselors. He's like number two now in the kingdom, which just a few hours ago was held by Haman. In other words, he became Haman's replacement. Now, let me ask a few questions. Okay, how do you think King Ahasuerus came to trust Mordecai That quickly to put him in that position. That night prior is when the chronicles were read that talked about the incident when Mordecai saved the king's life. He's already proven that he is a trustworthy fellow to the king. I would imagine that when Haman took him out and paraded him around that his response of immediately going right back to work also probably impressed the king. And then the fact that his wife says, by the way, this is my cousin, and probably tells the whole story of how he reared her, how he cared for her, how he has provided for her, how he helped her to attain the position that she's at now, how he encouraged her to come before the king with this problem. And as Al pointed out, a man who's very close to this problem and understands the details of it, all earned the favor of the king to where he says, you know what? I just killed my second-in-command. I need a new guy. I think this is the guy. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because think about it. Literally just a few hours later, Haman was second-in-command. Now we have Mordecai in that position. But before honor is humility. Proverbs 15, 33. Well, before moving on, talking about the faithfulness of both Esther and Mordecai. Remember 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Then why do we live so often as it says, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found successful. Or that a man be found to be famous. Or well liked. And let me tell you something that even happens among preachers. Where preachers want to be, they strive for a bigger, better church. Because more numbers. And they strive for more name recognition. They strive, and you know, we should be striving for more souls in the kingdom, yes. But if we would take the modern standards of what makes a a preacher successful, we would have to say most of the Old Testament prophets were failures faithfulness that's what god requires but be now moving on to before honor is humility proverbs fifteen thirty-three: the fear of the lord and is the instruction of wisdom before honor is humility now the whole being an orphan reared by her cousin the whole process by which she became queen i do believe esther had learned humility don't you when the decree was signed two months earlier, what did we find Mordecai doing? Humbling himself, clothing himself with sackcloth, sitting in ashes, praying to God, fasting. And even that very morning, he showed again his humility when he went straight back to work as he was being right after being paraded around. Both of them had a true humility before God. But going back to the fact that the estate of Haman was given to Queen Esther, who put Mordecai in charge of it. God provided for the righteous from the wicked. Proverbs 13, the last half of the verse says, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And as I said earlier, Haman forfeited everything because he was hung for treason. And so the king gave all that Haman had to Esther. Pretty interesting. The righteous ends up inheriting what this man was striving for all his life. Now, there is oppression when the wicked rule. Up to this point, Esther and Mordecai had kept secret their relationship. They kept secret the fact that they were both Jews. They kept all this secret. Why? Not because they were ashamed of it, but they were fearful of the consequences because Haman hated the Jews. And it apparently, yes, it culminated when Haman had this decree signed two months later, but apparently that that hatred was already in society of the Jews in the Persian Empire, hence the reason why they were hiding it. Again, not the fact that they were ashamed of it, but the truth is, folks, is, you know, we don't go out and try to publish things that are going to create enemies and get us killed, right? Now they proclaim both openly. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Christian, we better humble ourselves and ask God to intervene for our country because we're losing our freedoms rapidly. And there was freedom when Haman was dead. There was freedom for them to be able to proclaim, I'm a Jew and not fear. Although, this proclamation is still signed. We'll get to that in a moment. There's fear. There, there, the, 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 they were able to proclaim that they were cousins without fear. You see the freedom that is offered when the wicked are not ruling? Now let me say something. When we come to election time, I know it's hard to find out where the candidates stand. I understand it's hard to get to all these meetings and listen to them. And half the time, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. But I will say this, Christian We've got to stop listening to, well, they got an R after in the name. It must be better than the D. Well, maybe we need to get somebody in the primary to run run against them that has character. And I am so tired of, we don't look at a man's character, but we look at what they promise us. Too many are doing that. And I'm also being tired of being told, well, their Christianity doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Because I'll tell you what makes good decisions is somebody who fears God. Someone who fears God is going to make good decisions. Now, are they going to be perfect? Are there going to be times we disagree with them? Of course. But overall, they're going to be setting the direction because they're fearing God. And yet, too often, Christians still got the attitude of politics is too dirty. I'll tell you what. I have no intention of running again after next year. It'll be five years as a commissioner. Number one, it does take a lot of time away from the church. But number two, yes, it does wear you down. And I think this is why we have terms. And this is why somebody else needs to step in. Because let me tell you something those that do it for 16, 20 years, whatever, aren't fighting for you. Because if you're fighting, it wears you down. But character matters. And if we want to see things change, then we need to get serious about the candidates. And we need to start praying for godly candidates. And people need to start considering, should I run? And if it's not you, then who? Who can you approach and say, maybe have you ever considered running for this office? Oh, I'm not qualified. Okay, are you of age to run for that office, which most offices is 21? If the answer is yes, are you an American citizen? Do you have a felony? Well, I guess you qualify. If you're registered to vote, all that good stuff, you know, you're, you're qualified. If we, we act like there's some magical thing that people know. You know what I knew when I became a commissioner? I knew Havlock was messed up and I wanted to make a change. Still messed up, but I think it's better than what it was. I don't know. I'd like to think so. Think back to when Haman was demanding Mordecai bow before him, and he would not. Many of the people were telling Mordecai, just go along to get along. Mordecai is not that big a deal. What a testimony this is to the one who's willing to go against the tide. Because every time we compromise for the convenience of now, we're sacrificing opportunities to be taken serious later. Let me say that again. Every time we compromise for the convenience of now, we're sacrificing an opportunity to be taken serious later. Let me, let me, give you, let me explain. If, if Mordecai had started bowing before Haman, going along to get along, then later he says, you know, we should stand for God, we should stand for truth. Would it have had the same resonance that it did when he stood for God earlier? The answer is no. And I'll give you another example. There was a man when his uncle gave him a choice and said that the land is too small for us, we need to separate ways. And the uncle could have chosen which way he wanted to go, but he gave his uh, nephew the option His nephew lifted up his eyes and he said, there's a great place to raise cattle. And so he said, uncle, that's where I want to go. And so he went down there and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. But just a few chapters later, we find him in Sodom, in the gates of Sodom, which means he might have even been a elder or a a city official of some type. But then when the angels come... And say, Lot, we're going to destroy this city. Lot says, okay, let me tell my family. First of all, he tells the men of Sodom, when they come to his door, to sodomize the angels that came to his house. And they laugh at him and mock him. But then he goes and he tells his sons-in-law, God is going to destroy Sodom. And it says he was one one that mocked to them. You know why? Because he had no testimony of serving God all that time. And now all of a sudden, God's going to destroy us. And they're like, oh, you got religion all of a sudden pops. What is wrong with you? Get out of my house. That's so hilarious. That's never going to happen. He had zero testimony because he refused to stand for God earlier. And he lost the opportunity. And his very family died because he refused to stand for God. So let's not make choices based on the convenience of today. If it wasn't for 2 Peter 2, 7, it says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, I would never, reading the book of Genesis, have considered Lot to be a just man. But the Bible says he was, who vexed his soul day by day with the wickedness of Sodom because he not only allowed it, but then he ended up condoning it by not standing against it. Because if you're not standing against it, silence says it's okay. Well, that was point one of the day everything changed. But Lord willing, next week we will look at the plea of Esther and the proclamation of the king. But I think even in the promotion of Mordecai, we see, Christian, it's important we remain faithful, it's important we maintain a testimony. It's important that we continue to serve and follow God and take a stand for truth and righteousness. Take a stand against the wickedness of this world. Because if we just keep capitulating and keep giving in and keep giving in and keep giving over our freedoms, eventually there's going to be nothing left to give. So let's take a stand while we still can.